I don't know how your week's been, whether it's been a, a good week, whether it's been a tough week. Uh, this week there was in the news a big thing in the news, and we know this happens more than just when we hear about it in America, but there was a, a shooting in the, in the school um, with 19 children and a couple of, uh, a couple of our, well, a couple of teachers passing away in that shooting. And, and it just brings up those reminders that our world has darkness within it. And I was reminded this week of the start of the, uh, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What is coming to being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Why don't we pray as we consider this light in the dark spaces? Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks that darkness cannot overcome light, that wherever there is light, there cannot be darkness. And we thank you, God, that you are that light, that Jesus came to earth and illuminated you. We thank you that now we have the knowledge of who you are and the light lives in us. Our Lord, may you help us to be a light that is not hidden under a tub, but it's it's open and in full view for all to see. May we live lives worthy of your light that others may see. Lord, may we be people who see the hurts and the darkness around us and reach into those spaces. God, may we be people who lift up the hurt and the broken, extend a hand, reach out to those who are hurting, to those who are in pain, to those who are struggling with mental health issues, to those, God, who... Used to know you, used to come to church, used to do all that, yet now don't see it as important. God, help us to be your light into those spaces. Help us to be a light into our workplaces where people maybe don't share their feelings, but help us to know and understand and discern what you're doing. Help us to be a light in our local neighborhood, in our streets that our neighbours will see something different. Help us to be a light that shines your name, that all people will see you. Our God, we know that there are many, many people who are, are still not well in, uh, our, through, through our congregation, through people we know. And we ask, our God, that you will give them a sense of who you are, a sense of hope, a sense of peace, a sense of healing as well, Lord. May you heal those who are feeling really sick. For those who are in hospital, we ask that you heal them as well. Lord, we give you thanks for new life and the, the, the brightness that that brings. We thank you for um, the uh, Hazel, uh, Hannah and Joel's little one. We pray for mum and bub, that they may be doing well. We thank you for Corinne and Tuck and first-time grandparents. We ask that uh, the little one will be great as well. Our Lord, we do want to think also and pray for those families who have been impacted by the shootings in America today. We lift them to you, Lord, and we know that that's not 
There's no easy solution. There's no easy answer. No words can satisfy uh, the response as to how or why these things happen. Lord, just bring peace to those families. Lord, we give you thanks for the community around that is bonding together to help them out. Lord, we want to pray, continually uh, pray for the situation in uh, the Ukraine and Russia. We ask, Lord, that uh, as that continues to um, go forward and there's more fighting and we hear of an Australian being killed over there, we ask our God that you bring peace into that situation. You work in the hearts of those who are making decisions that who are making decisions to, yeah, to cause chaos. So be with them, Lord. And Lord, be with us as we hear your word, as we take it in, as we act on it. Be with us that we may be your people who are living a transformed life, a life of balance, a life that seeks to serve, a life that continues to shine your light into the world that we live. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to keep that open to uh, Luke chapter 5, that would be really good. And we're going to have a look through that passage in a a little bit. Uh, I I just want to share a story about uh, our holiday in April, just after Easter. We went to Hall's Gap. We actually stayed at a, a, a place called Lake Fyan. And beautiful, beautiful place. Has anyone been to Lake Fyan? Yeah, so it's just at the sort of 20 kilometres from the, the Grampians, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful lake. Um, but when we were there, we, we went into Hall's Gap a fair bit, and then we went up the, up the mountain, up the, to the pinnacle. Has anyone ever climbed the pinnacle of, yeah, there's a few of you, pinnacle of the Grampians? Beautiful, beautiful sort of climb, a little bit further than we probably expected it to be, uh, but we made it up the top, and it was great. And Tarquin and I... When you're up the top, there's this, this little spot that you can go that's all barriered off, which is really quite handy because it's really quite high and quite scary and close to the edge. So we went, all went as a family up to that, that part, which is really good. But there's all these other spots that you can start sort of going out and exploring and walking along. So Tarquin, and, well, Tarquin went first, and I'm like, Tarquin, get away from the edge. He's like 25 metres from the edge. But Tarquin, you're getting too close to the edge. What are you doing, Tarquin? Get away from the edge. And they went, actually, that looks really cool. Just wait for me. And so we went across, and, and together we went to uh, a couple of spots that was just it was just open and it was just absolutely beautiful but if you've ever been up there it is quite daunting or if you've been on any sort of cliff where there's no barriers it is quite daunting because there's nothing between you and the rock place and you can be sort of tent like I stand on this stage and I can be far and I don't feel at all daunted that I'm going to fall but I can be that far away from a a 200 meter drop and I can feel a bit jittery do you know what I mean you can get that jittery feeling. Like, even though, even if I fall, my head's not even going to make the edge, uh, but I can feel a bit jittery. We were nowhere near the edge, but you start to feel that, that little bit unease and the little bit of jitters. You almost feel a sense of imbalance when you're standing semi-close, not even close, but semi-close to the edge. But as soon as you get... If I go past these things, I was going to scream. No. If, as soon as you get to the edge, you start to feel really nervy, don't you? really jittery. Even though you haven't fallen over for a long time, as soon as you get to the edge, you start to get jittery. And I was feeling that even though we we're probably about 15 metres away from the edge, hey, Tarquin? That was, um... <laughs> Did you feel that? Oh, there you go. 
Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? I'm talking to myself. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. That's good. <laughs> He's just young and brave, I understand. But standing on the edge can give you that real sense of imbalance that you can fall. The past few years have taken many of us to that edge, haven't they? Where there's a sense that any step forward might just tip us over the edge. The blessing of being able to work from home through COVID in your pyjama bottoms and slippers because all you needed was your Zoom top on also came with the added increase of not being able to get away from your work at all. Your work-life balance became so much harder because work was right next to home while it was in home. And the family suffers, mental health has suffered, physical health has suffered, and your work probably doesn't benefit either. We might be on the edge because interest rate hikes are starting to go up now and maxed out mortgages are starting to look very dubious and it's a new level of stress coming through. Running to, running to the basketball games, we did three games of basketball yesterday, trying to get odd jobs done around the house, spending quality time with your spouse, it just starts to seem like an impossibility. And it often feels like we're on the edge or on a perpetual highway where the speed signs just fall away and you just keep increasing the speed and the off-ramps are gone and you just can't get off. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? If you're anything like me, our lockdowns last year stopped much of the rush. You couldn't rush. I didn't need to drive the kids to school. I didn't need to rush to get to the next meeting. I didn't need to rush to get to the gym. Don't go to the gym. I didn't need to rush to cook dinner. I didn't need to do that sort of thing. But COVID taught me to slow down the rush. In fact, I started to, the, to realize the difference over COVID between being busy and being rushed. Busy was making sure that I kept my diary well maintained. That I kept everything in my diary and I made it to the meetings that I needed to make it. Rushed was having everything in my diary without having any margin at all. No space for the quiet movements of a day. Meeting to meeting to meeting without catching a breath. No space in between, continuously watching the clock in fear that I might miss the next meeting. And that causes all sorts of problems in the meeting that you're at. That's what it is to be rushed. Placing no margin between the busyness of life. Now, if you've been to England, you'll know, and the underground, everyone been to the underground in England? There's this saying that you hear all the time through the underground in England. It is a saying that says... Mind the gap. That's exactly right. And it refers to uh, that there's a gap between the train and the platform. And so it's saying to the commuters that as you step on the train, mind the gap. Make sure you don't fall in. Um, but I wonder if we need to consider minding the gap as well. The gaps that we can plan into our diaries, our days that stop us from living this rushed life that we sometimes live. Because when we're living in this rushed life, when we're living on the precipice with pressures around us and it just keeps on going and going, it's the gap 
that's going to stop us from toppling over the edge. So the question we need to ask this morning is how do we make sure that when we're standing on the precipice, when the life starts feeling like it's a little out of control, when busyness becomes an addiction and the rush is something that you love, how do we keep our feet firmly planted? How do we stop that wobbly knees? How do we keep our feet planted on the rock? Who is Jesus? We've been starting on this uh, this series, uh, A Transformed Life. And so today we're going to look at this innocuous passage. That It's just a verse that I want to really focus on. But if you blink, you'll miss it. So hopefully we don't miss it. A passage that's tucked away after this incredible, miraculous healing. And I hope is that we can live a rushed an unrushed, rhythmic life. Luke 5.16, it says this, and we need to know this, highlight it in your Bibles. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. We could say that Jesus minded his gap He allowed margins in his schedule. In fact, as we look at the passage prior that Barb just read to us, we're going to see that in order for Jesus to function in his given purpose, withdrawing and praying was absolutely key. Jesus wasn't about keeping up a popular face. Jesus wanted an ongoing, intimate relationship with his Father. And here... Jesus taps into the key of intimacy with God. Get away from the rush. And when you get away from the rush, you're not removing yourself to the sort of to the corner and just rocking there. You're doing something else. You're going to remove yourself and you're going to pray. Jesus literally removes himself away from the rush around him and he goes into a quiet place, the wilderness, and he prays. But let's hear what he's removing himself from if we start at Luke 5, 12. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Now, we have to place this in context of the whole of Luke's gospel. The start of Luke chapter 5, we see that Jesus goes on a, a fishing expedition with Simon, Peter, James and John. And after they, catch, they get this great catch, uh, so many fish came into their nets that the nets started to break and they needed a second boat to come in and bring them all in. And Jesus tells them, well, you've, you've had the catch of your life. You're going to stop that now because I'm going to ask you to catch men. You're going to go fishing again, but it's not going to get this haul of fish. You're going to fish for men. Luke, Luke 5.11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. They dropped everything. They just had this unbelievable catch and now they're giving up. They dropped everything. Business was as good as ever. Now they drop it to follow. <clears throat> and the first place they go to follow, Jesus is a town where a man comes along who is covered, the Bible says, covered with leprosy. Welcome to the ministry of fishing for men. 
First, per, first stop, man with leprosy. When we think covered with something, it implies that it's all over, doesn't it? We, we hear sort of covered, we think all over. And the Greek word that's translated covered here is translated full. So a full life, uh, same word, covered and full. Um, this lef- leper didn't just have a little bit of leprosy. He was full of it. It covered his whole body. See, leprosy at any stage was not good for anyone or still isn't a good thing for anyone. When someone got leprosy, it changed their life dramatically. Leprosy was, was very common and a massive problem back in the biblical days. If, in fact, if you want to know anything about what the Israelite nation uh, thought about regarding skin disease and leprosy... You can have a read of Leviticus 13 and 14 and all the rules and regulations that go about treating someone or, or what we do with, with someone with leprosy. It was absolutely life-changing. The leper was required to keep away from all others. Can you imagine if you had a family and you ended up with leprosy? You could no longer go and hug your wife. You couldn't even high-five your kids. There would be no fist bumps or elbow bumps. You lose your work, your friendships. You lose everything. Everyone was aware of you. And if they weren't, if someone came towards you, the leper was supposed to shout out, unclean, unclean. It was a dreadful, and still is, a dreadful disease. You see, the disease itself doesn't kill a person. Rather, it's the effects of the disease that is dangerous. You see, it's a disease that damages the body's nervous system. And in turn, it can cause the leper to feel numb or not feel anything. The whole body could go numb. So we hear of this man that has, uh, is fully covered with leprosy. He cannot feel anything. See, if you're blind, you can't see. If you're deaf, you can't hear. If you have leprosy, you can't feel. So leprosy doesn't mean your arms or fingers are just going to fall off. Rather, the lack of being able to feel any pain may mean that a deep cut is something you couldn't feel. So you might cut yourself and not fully know it. You might burn yourself and not understand how severe it might be. Because of the severity of this disease, they were meant to live outside of town, isolated, totally away in makeshifts, homes, or garbage dumps, those sort of things. There'd be no contact with friends, neighbours, or family. In, in effect, they were just left for dead. So this man that comes to Jesus is full of leprosy. You can imagine the sight of this man who turns up to Jesus. He, he was already in a bad way. They notice he's in a bad way. He's full of leprosy. He's not doing well. We can only imagine how he looked. And one day this leper saw Jesus and his disciples coming towards him. And his tradition would be that he should start shouting, Unclean! Unclean! I suspect they already knew this by the look of him. Perhaps the leper had heard about Jesus. So he falls to the ground and asks Jesus, You can make me clean. It's an amazing thing really. Perhaps there have been whispers of this man who had been preaching uh, and ministering throughout Galilee already. Perhaps he sensed there was something about Jesus as he walked on by. Maybe he heard about the healings that he'd already started to do and perform. Whatever it was, this leper was willing to disobey the law and fall at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. 
because he knew that Jesus could make him clean. Imagine the difference being clean would be for a leper. And I want you to note Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't retract. He doesn't coil away. He doesn't wince with disgust. Jesus doesn't send the man off. You're in the wrong place. You should not be here. He doesn't put him, him back in the, his place in the world. I reckon the very fact that Jesus didn't move away said a whole lot about who Jesus was. Probably made a massive difference in the life of that leper just by the fact that Jesus didn't recoil. But Jesus goes way beyond not doing anything. Jesus puts his hand out and touches the leper. He puts his hand out. This is a a person that hasn't had physical touch for who knows how long. He puts his hand out and touches the leper. You know, I read one commentary and they like the idea of that Jesus embraced him. I don't think the, 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 the Bible actually says that, but I like that, that idea. That Jesus, even if he put his hand on his shoulder, would have felt like a massive embrace for this man who was kept at arm's length from the rest of the world. And Jesus, he puts his hand out, he touches him, and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. What incredible words. Jesus' willingness to serve another meant putting his own hand out to touch the leper. And touching a leper meant that you are unclean. You now have to go through all this process to become clean again. Jesus reaches out and touches him. Jesus was willing. And even better, Jesus was able. Immediately, the leprosy left. Now, there's so many avenues that we can take with this story. It's just such a, a marvelous story of, of, and a show of who Jesus is, isn't it? We could go down the road of, are we reaching out to the untouchables? We could say that no one is out of reach of God's touch. We could say that a touch from God doesn't need to be inside the walls of the church. Let's see who's beyond our walls. There's plenty of places that we could take this this morning. And in fact... <clears throat> We, can, we could go on all sorts of tangents. I will take one tangent. One tangent. And then we're going to bring it back to the edge of the precipice. We're going to get there. But one tangent. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Foothills um, Community Meals? There's a few people that have heard of Foothills. Uh, they, they're a, a group based at the Foothills. And they do community meals for, um, for, for people who just need a meal, who need some community, who need some help. <clears throat> people who probably wouldn't generally come to church, people who may not have family. They just had a birthday for someone who turned 100 uh, last week. It's an amazing meals program. And I actually heard this week that Zara Easton has signed up to to be part and volunteer at their community meals, which is fantastic. So Zara, if you're watching, awesome. That's so cool. They would love some help. They're doing plenty of things in our community. They would love some help. So if you're thinking, actually, I want to consider what it would be to to get out and reach into some other space, you might want to consider serving at Foothills or helping out at Foothills. They meet on a Monday at Upway Baptist Church, uh, and that's a a way that you could engage in that community sort sort of process. But anyway, you can check out their website, Facebook group. It's an amazing ministry, but that's an aside. If you want to know more, come and see me afterwards. 
But that's not the place I want to go. Because the next two verses give insight into a rhythm that Jesus enters so that he can keep the pace of, uh, of life that keeps him from falling over the precipice, that keeps him from making a difference in people's lives like this leper. Let's read Luke 5, verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> so he goes and says, Don't, go, go present yourself to the temple and that sort of thing. And then 15 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. The news spread and the crowds came to get a piece of it. Jesus' life was starting to explode. His ministry was about to get very, very busy. This healing has led to more people asking questions. Can Jesus heal me too? Maybe this sore foot that I've had for such a long time, Jesus could heal that as well. And... In my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, you've just got this ministry platform ahead of you. Look at this. You've just set it out. You've laid it it out. What a great opportunity. If ever there was a time to set up a ministry for those who are outcast or afflicted, now is the time. Pitch your tent up, Jesus. Form some lines. Have an orderly queue going all the way up the road and make a start on it. Perhaps for you, it's not about ministry. Maybe it's about your business that has started to flourish. And the opportunities keep opening for you. Pitch the tent, form the lines, you're doing a great job. Expand at all costs. And it might be right. But Jesus adds another step before heading to the next big thing. Perhaps for you, it's what we were talking about before, that you are stretched to your maximum capacity on the edge of the precipice. Jesus Seeming opportunity could also be seen as a weight that is too heavy for a human to bear. The physical restoration of the sick, they'd be coming in in droves. The tent lines would be huge. The expectations would be huge. You healed him, can you heal me? A heavy burden. So what did Jesus do? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. Jesus had a rhythm of going to the lonely places. Other translations say that Jesus withdrew to the wilderness, the places that were uninhabited, where no one was, where he could be alone. So a question for us today is, do you think you're stronger than Jesus? It's a pretty strong question. Do you think you're stronger than Jesus? Because if Jesus needed to get away, do you think you can do without that? Because if we can't answer, answer a yes, and I'm going to hazard a guess that we can't, then we need to learn from Jesus how, about, how we go about standing firm on the precipice of life rather than allowing the busyness to rush us straight over the edge. Jesus saw a need to move away from the rush and find solidarity. Uh, Yes, um, solitary moments. Even in the midst of what could be a rushed moment, Jesus did two things. So he withdrew and he prayed. They're pretty simple. Withdrew and prayed. He went to be on his own and he prayed. So as we speak, seek to find some encouragement from Jesus' example of withdrawing and praying, I want to suggest three lessons that we can learn to help transform our lives from the rush 
to a rhythm that Jesus displayed during his life. The first thing is this. There is nothing that you, can, that you do that God cannot handle without you. There's nothing you can do that God cannot handle without you. I think sometimes we live in the lie that makes us think that our worth is caught up intrinsically in what we do rather than who we are. Jesus lived in the space of understanding who he was. Namely, he's fully human and fully God. Gee, try and work that out. We often quote Philippians 2 that tells us that Jesus humbled himself to the, uh, to, to the earth. He didn't need to, he did it for our sake. But the life he lived on earth was a human life. One that did not take being equal to God for granted. He did not abuse his godness. Rather, he leaned on his father for continual strength, for a rhythm of life. So that when the rush of people, the healings, the teaching, the abuse at the hands of religious leaders, all these things come in, his death even, through all these things, Jesus could withdraw and pray. I wonder if sometimes we are rushed because we feel that if we don't get the next thing done, then it's going to be problematic for everyone. If we don't say no to an opportunity, it's not going to happen. I wonder if sometimes we feel rushed because we feel responsible for everything. Author B. M. M. Basil Pennington says this, In fact, there is nothing that we are doing that God could not raise up a stone in the field to do for him. The realization of this puts us in our true place. Though, lest we get knocked down, knocked down by such a realization of our insignificance, let me hasten to add that there is one thing that we alone can give God, and that is our personal love. No one else can give God our personal love. That is our great significance. How do you show someone you love them? Well, probably the first thing you do is you spend time with them. That's, that's probably a key sort of way. No one ever showed a girl that he liked her by staying clear of her, did they? <laughs> Withdrawing and, play, and praying is saying, God, I want to spend time with you. I want to step away from my rush where I can't even see you and step into that relationship with you. I'm going to lean into my relationship with you. Because that's going to be the sustainer of the new opportunity. That's going to be the foundation of a new initiative. It's going to be the reconciliation between husband and wife. It's going to be the catalyst for directions and decisions that you are making that make a difference in this world. There is nothing you can do that God can't handle without you. So find time to love God. Second thing is that God is the giver of rest. Rest is a biblical principle, isn't it? Uh, it's not a new biblical principle. We've heard this before. Rest goes back to God's creation, where God worked in creating uh, for the first six days, then spent time resting. And when he rested, he didn't just rest and, and sit back and do nothing. He rested and he enjoyed what he had made. It's where, this is where the idea of Sabbath has come about, and it's a whole other sermon. We're not going to get too deep into it here. But the idea is that God rested. God who is listening to all our prayers all the time. God who is active, who is always at work. God who created the stars and the microorganisms that sort of seem pointless to us, but for God it's an incredible creation. He saw them beautiful enough to create, so he created them. God rested. 
And it's important to note that we often consider Sabbath as something that we attach to our work. So the absence of work becomes our Sabbath. We don't work or we don't do this and we can call it Sabbath. But my experience of trying to find the Sabbath rest when I'm rushed or when I'm overwhelmed with life is that downing tools for a time doesn't remove the pressure of the jobs that still need to be done. There are deadlines to come. There are things that weigh on my mind. I heard a good redefinition of Sabbath through this week. It said this, Sabbath is where you live like your work is done, even if you don't have it finished. Sabbath is where you work, uh, where you live like your work is done, even if you haven't finished. You can imagine this may be the case for the Israelite people as they made bricks for Pharaoh. So the oppression of the people of uh, the, the people in Egypt was so great that they just kept getting pounded and pounded. Make more bricks, make more bricks. But some scholars believe that they would have still had some sort of Sabbath rest, a time where they could forget their oppression and be with family, honor God, and not make bricks. I love the message version of Matthew eleven thirty. 28 to 30. It says this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Get away with me. I'll help you recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Learn these unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. It's all about being close to our Lord, isn't it? And the end... You'll live freely and lightly. It's incredible words of comfort, but it means that we must go and be with our Lord. Because God is the source of rest. The third thing that we can learn, the third lesson we have here, is that prayer is the catalyst for navigating the precipice. Prayer is a catalyst for navigating the precipice. Now, Jesus didn't navigate the hard times, the busy times, the distressing times through withdrawing to wilderness and then just crawling up in a ball and sort of rocking. (laughs) His purpose of getting away was to pray. Jesus knew that prayer wasn't just a good idea, but that prayer was the absolute starting point to all that he did on earth. Jesus prioritized solitary prayer especially in the difficult times of his life. He prayed for 40 days in the wilderness before being tempted by Satan and before beginning his public ministry. He prayed in the wilderness after a big day of ministry. He prayed alone to, uh, to work through his grief when his cousin John the Baptist died. He prayed through the big decisions of his life. In Luke 6, he spends the whole night alone in prayer before then choosing his 12 disciples. He prays in times of distress and at the Mounts of Olives before facing the cross. Jesus went to the silent spaces. He withdrew. He went on his own and prayed. I like this quote. Time spent in solitude with God is not time spent alone. Time spent in solitude with God 
is not time spent alone. It's time spent with God. It's time spent praying. Praying for the times where you're on the edge of the precipice and not sure whether that's going to hold your weight or whether your legs are going to stay. It's praying for the times where you're uncertain of what your future may be. It's praying for the bad news that you received. It's praying for a loved one with terminal illness. It's praying even when we don't have the words to say. When our legs are wobbling at the precipice, prayer is the starting point. If you're musical, you'll know that as you read your music, there is a a thing called a rest. A rest is a silent space that's added into music. And nothing is needed to be played on that silent space. There's no music in a rest, but there is the making of music in it. In our whole life melody, the music is broken here and there by rests. Music is enhanced by having a rest in it. And likewise, in the busy-paced lives we live, we need to find the rest that enhance the symphony of our lives. They can't be passed over. They can't be taken out. Just as a score of music needs rest to enhance it, our lives need to find that same rest so that we may not topple over the edge. We may not be rain wobbling on top of the precipice, but rather that we will thrive together as God's people. We need to withdraw and pray in order that we might find that same rhythm that we see in Jesus' life. So I've got a question for you to ponder this morning. A few questions. Where do you find rest in your busy schedule? Where do you find rest in your busy schedule? And what would it look like to reorientate, to find that gap to withdraw and pray? You know, it might not be... I think sometimes I think of this... That the withdraw and pray means that I have to then go and put an hour and a half there. I need to make sure I've got the Bible. I need to make sure everything's there. It might be a five minute between a meeting. It might be the difference of ending a meeting at 10.15 and starting the next meeting at 10.30. And saying for that 10 minutes in between, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. It might be getting up that 15 minutes earlier. It might be going to bed that 15 minutes later but withdrawing in those spaces. Where do you find rest in your busy schedule? And what will it look like for you to withdraw and pray? Let me pray as I invite the band forward. Now, Lord and God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that Jesus reached out and touched the leper. It teaches us so much about who he is. It teaches us so much about your love. But Lord, what we've also learned is that without rest, without stepping back, without withdrawing, Jesus wouldn't have had the capacity to do it. Lord, help us to learn from Jesus. Help us to work out in our, our busy times, in our important life, where we can find that space to rest. We thank you for your word, Lord. May it Help us to be changed and live a transformed life. Amen.